this week on the Backtable Podcast. I am so excited by the conference that I cannot uh, stop talking about that because I think, <laughs> you know, it's not always that you have this uh, opportunity to be part of a new field at its beginning. If you think to the older guys, which were the first doing, I don't know, iliac angioplasty or iliac stenting, right. this was so exciting. But here, I think the figures and the numbers are so big that it can really change the figure, the picture of what we will be doing as IRs. So I think it's, it's really a very extraordinary opportunity to be at this moment in the history of IR. And I really want to share this with you guys. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things interventional and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on backtable.com. First, a brief message from our sponsor. Since I had my son, paying down my med school debt has become my top priority. I remember holding him in my arms for the first time, looking into his beautiful little face and just wanting the best future for him. With the Laurel Road Student Loan Cashback Card, my regular purchases earn me 2% cashback when I use it to pay down my student loans, which helps me reach my goals faster and plan for my family's future. Laurel Road for Doctors. Banking insights and benefits uniquely designed for doctors. See laurelroad.com slash doctor checking for full terms and conditions. Laurel Road is a brand of KeyBank NA member FDIC. Now, back to the episode. This is Aaron Fritz as your host this week. I'm very fortunate to have a uh, now neighbor of mine uh, on the show, Mark Sapoval. We are recording from Paris, France. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for coming to the show. Well, hello. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark and I met via, pretty much via Jafar Gulzarian. Um, Jafar and I have uh, Jafar was on the show episode, I think it was 89, uh, we talked about genicular artery embolization. And uh, Jafar and I have been keeping in touch over the years. And then, um, you know, we, we'd reached, we'd, we'd been talking about doing some collaborative stuff with with guests and the, and the guest crew. And, and Mark and I, um, since I'm, you know, for the audience who doesn't know, my family and I, we moved to Paris a couple months ago. And Mark had me over to his office and we got to sit down and talk for a little while. And we thought it'd be a great thing to, to talk a little bit about the upcoming guest conference, guest MSK, that is going to be in Paris. So we do want people to, to you know, this will go out a couple months before then so that people get the opportunity to register and learn more about it. And Mark's going to tell us a bit more about it here in a minute. But first, Mark, I wanted to ask you, I wanted you just to give our audience a background about yourself, how long you've been in practice, what tell us a bit about your practice here in Paris. Thanks, Aaron, and thanks for having me today. Uh, so about my, uh, my practice, I am a director of the uh, Interventional Radiology Vascular and Oncological Program here in Pompidou Hospital. Uh, we are proud that uh, we've been uh, classified as the uh, number 18 of the best uh, hospital in the world, thanks to uh, a recent uh, publication by Newsweek. So we are oh, wow. very proud about that. Yeah. So we are even uh, two seats before Stanford, which was a surprise to me, but that's a great achievement. So everybody's very excited on that here. Yeah. So I'm practicing IR for unfortunately a long time. My background was originally more on uh, cardiovascular because I was in uh, mainly cardiovascular hospital. And since in 2000, we moved to this big hospital here in Pompidou. Then it gave us the opportunity 
of uh, developing a lot of new fields in IR. So at this time, we do basically every kind of IR except neuro, because neuro is uh, very, very precisely, I would say, organized in Paris, as uh, you may know. And uh, neuro intervention is done in other places. So we don't do neuro except when we have a stroke during an intervention or something like that. But this is not our core, I would say, expertise and business. And we don't do PEDS. We do a very, very little uh, uh, less than, I would say, 12 years old, boys and girls. But this is very uncommon. So this is a general setup of my practice. It is an academic hospital with a strong uh, research organization. Uh, we have referral from... Uh, all over France, obviously mainly local, but we also get patients from all over France and sometimes from other countries, including uh, North Africa, Algeria, Tunisia, sometimes Eastern Europe, sometimes even from the US, very, very seldom, but it can happen. Uh, so we are pretty open to, uh, I would say, the world and uh, heavily involved in research. So that's why we are trying to develop this new practice of MSK herbalization here. That's great. When you say your academic institution, I'm assuming you have med students, you have residents and, and fellows. Um, how many uh, IR trainees do you guys have? Is it similar to it the way it is in the US where you have diagnostic radiology and then you do extra years in, in, in interventional radiology? So the, uh, the training program in France since two years has moved to a four-year common core, I would say, mostly of diagnostic and the basics of IR. Plus, for the one who wants to become professional IRs, they would undertake a two years more residency program, which is called Junior Doctor Program. And we have uh, between 15 and 17 of them globally in the Paris region each year training on that. And we get uh, two of them every six months. Okay. Uh, so we have four residents, two are from the general program and two are from this dedicated IR program. And are the, do the trainees tend, tend to be predominantly French, or do you get people from all over the world? Uh, what's kind of a, the, the makeup of the trainees? Well, predominantly French people, but we get every year or one year or two uh, on two people coming from abroad for usually it's a program of one year. We used to get people from South America, from North Africa, from Eastern Europe. Yeah. Uh, so we're pretty open. We don't have so many positions available, though, so it's not more than one people per year. Otherwise, there is too many people in the lab, so we cannot cover. Yeah. So it sounds pretty similar. I mean, our uh, training programs have been kind of in flux. It's different now than the way it was when I, you know, I'm out about 10 years from training. And so we have this integrated IR residency, which our audience is probably f mostly familiar with. But I'm always curious to know, because we've had some of the UK guys on the show, Greg McCreese and Lorenzo Petroni, we've talked about the difference between healthcare in the US and, and in the UK. And would you say France is, because you've spent a lot of time obviously with Jafar and in the US uh, with Guest, what, what would you say are the big differences between IR in the US versus practicing in France, if any? Well, that's, that's a multiple question in one question. <laughs> I would say a few things, maybe not necessarily in a very logical order, but I would say, I think you have a, probably a much stronger private practice than we have. Yeah. We have a private practice, we have private clinics, but we have less people doing IR in this setting because basically in France, IR is not so much of a, would say, business 
efficient model. What I mean is that it's not the best way to make a lot of money when you're a radiologist. It's easier to do an EMR than to do an angioplasty or an embolization. Uh, due to the uh, reimbursement policy, and I think it's crazy because I think we are much more uh, efficient than these guys, but just uh, to give you the overall picture. Uh, the other thing which is changing at a very fast pace in the US is this OBL thing that you are developing over there. And I've been discussing this extensively with Jafar and other friends over there. We don't have this organization yet in France. To be honest with you, I don't know if it will come. I think it has probably some interest and it could probably enhance the number of cases that we would be able to do because the structure is much uh, lighter than a big hospital. So I don't know what would be the future, but these are very important differences, I would say. What do you think are the, the major roadblocks to an OBL situation in France? Is it just financing and is it reimbursements? I think the first uh, limitation would probably be the uh, regulation. Because in France, when you want to open a practice of IR, you need to have a certain, I would say, backup from a whole organization around you. And for instance, going to do even a simple case like a, I don't know, UFE or PAE in, a, in this type of setting would create the question by the uh, administration and the management such like, uh, okay, and if you have a severe uh, groin hematoma, what are you going to do with this patient? These type of things, which is not necessarily a question which is completely crazy, but I'm sure you guys in the US, when you do OBL, you're able to address that in a way or another. Right. Usually we're able to get backup. Either we get privileges at a local hospital or or you, you get you establish coverage with a colleague, whether it be an IR or vascular surgeon, somebody who can kind of help you in case of those uh, those issues. Would you say and, and along those lines, would you say IR or endovascular specialists or more are more or less collaborative in France versus the the US, from what you know? You mean collaborative between specialties or? Yeah, like with, like you guys with intermediate cardiology, with vascular surgery, because in the US, it depends on who you ask. It depends on where you are. But France being you know smaller, may, I thought maybe there'd be more cohesiveness or collaboration uh, amongst colleagues, at least in the Paris area. So uh, I don't know exactly. I think, I think this is really highly related to two things. First of all, is the inter- personal relationship that you have with your colleagues. And I think this is the main driver anywhere in the world. So if you have good friends and you trust them and they trust you and they respect you, then you can work together. And so that's the first point. The second point is the business side of it. Uh, it depends on the incentive that you have. And I can tell you that in France, even if in a public hospital, you don't have direct business incentive because you are paid by the salary. You're not paid on the number of cases that you are doing. Still, there is there are some tough battles which prevents you from having good collaboration. So it really depends. I, I don't think the system is necessarily easier or worse than in the US. I think it's a very, very uh, dependent on the local organization and the people at the end of the day. Yeah. Would you say IR practices are pretty similar throughout France, You know, whether it be Paris versus Marseille or Con or you know, Antibes, even. I mean, would you say that, or Lyon, like, would you say that the, the practice is all practiced in a very similar manner? Yeah. I mean, we would find the same uh, difference between uh, one guy and the other guy the next door, whether it's in Bordeaux or in Marseille or in Paris. I think 
roughly the size of uh, your hospital, the size of the city doesn't really change between one one place, one one city, and the and the other. I would say. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, in the U.S., I mean, it's it can be drastically different between East Coast, West Coast, Texas, Midwest. Um, just how how people work together. You know, like you said, a lot of it does have to do with interpersonal relationships, but also it's a way you're trained. You know, sometimes there's departments uh, or universities or center academic centers where they just, for whatever reason, historically, IR and vasosurgery just don't get along. Sure. And and that's how you're trained. And so people take that and then they go out in the community and that's how they kind of approach their practice in a highly competitive way. And then there's other places where everybody gets along really well and, you know, they intermingle and they intertrain one another. And I, I do feel like we're seeing more of that than back when I was training. Back when I was training, you didn't really, you didn't really interact with the vascular surgeons at all. And it sounds like there's a lot more interaction. There's a lot more um, even practices opening up where it's vascular surgeons and IRs together in the same practice. And you know the IR is not even part of a radiology practice; it's a part of the vascular surgery practice. So it's interesting to see these things evolve and develop because you know again we're all learning the same vascular skills. And what you realize is you actually complement one another. And you've probably seen this in the U.S. or even at some of the guest conferences where uh, an IR who knows how to do fibrillin embolization and genicular artery embolization can join a vascular surgeon who knows how to do PAD really well, and they can complement one another and have a, a thriving endovascular practice. So. I want it'd just be interesting to see if that continue, you know, if that evolves as well in, in France. Yeah, I think it does. I mean, this uh, this uh, collaboration aspect is uh, probably where we want to go, and I think it's going this way. But I would say relatively slowly because, uh, man, for for historical reasons, for uh, privileges, this has not been so uh, developed, and I think it's increasing. But I think it's increasing slowly. I would say, yeah. And so I'm going to kind of change gears here a minute on the subject of guest. I want to hear more about the history of guest, but are you guys finding that you're seeing more, are you seeing other specialties come to guest, not just IRs um, over the, as, it, as there's, has there been a trend over the years that other, more other specialties are coming to guest? I would say basically relatively no. I think we, we had this, uh, this impression at the beginning where we thought, more people from other specialties would, would join. I think they do join, but I think they are relatively uh, as a minority. They don't come as numbers. Uh, right. And uh, I mean, the exact reason for this is not clear because we would not refuse anyone according to his specialty. We would welcome him fully. But I think maybe because uh, the topic is focused on only embolization, Let's see, for example, a vascular surgeon who wants to be trained on, I don't know, endolic type 2 embolization, for example. Then, okay, yeah. he comes to guest, but then uh, he will have, uh, I don't know, two hours on endolic embolization, and the rest for him would be things that he doesn't care so much about. So probably he would not see this meeting as the best place to be and the most time-efficient place to be for him. That makes sense. Unless he was invited to speak. Oh, on, yeah. On yeah. We do topics, have uh, right? vascular surgeons and other specialties like, I know, urologists, uh, you know, all these type of neighbor specialties where we share patients to come, obviously. Right, right. 
Um, so yeah, so you know, endo leaks obviously being a hot topic for embolization. But let's back up. Let, tell us when Guess was started, why it was started, and who who you know was, who's the core group that said, "Hey, we got to create an embolization conference." So to be honest with you, the idea comes from uh, Jafar, and he came to me. I think it was in two thousand four or five. We were at. Uh, uh, the Charing Cross meeting in London, and we were friends since uh, several years. And he came to me and he told me, Mark, we need to set up a meeting on embolization. And I told him, uh, come on, uh, are you sure? <laughs> so he said, yes, I'm sure. Uh, I said, okay, let's, uh, let's go. Let's, let's start on that. And then he bring uh, Aziv also on the, uh, on the group, in the group. Uh, yeah. So for the first few years, we were the three of us. And uh, then uh, we uh, decided to stay only the two of us. So Jafar and me, since uh, I mean five six years from now. So the first edition of Guess was in Barcelona in two thousand seven, and uh, we started from zero, from scratch. Uh, we were uh, discussing with companies and telling companies, uh, "Would you be interested in supporting this type of meeting? Do you see an interest?" And some of them were very very supportive. Some of them were much more reluctant. So they asked us, uh, how many people you think you will attract there? And we said, okay, maybe 150, maybe 200 people. And at the end of the day, the first guest to seven, we ended up being 600, uh, wow. which was, which was really, uh, really amazing. And the surprise to, to us, of course, good surprise also to the industry and also to other, uh, uh societies and other physicians group. So everybody was surprised. And I think that. Since then, I mean, the main benefit of this, uh, I would say, first meeting was to raise the profile of embolization as a technique, as a clinical technique that can be applied, as you know, to more and more clinical situations with more and more material. But because right. of the specifics of embolization, I think we have demonstrated that it deserves a fully dedicated meeting. And... This is also a bread and butter practice for every IR. Every IR yeah. does embolization. At least when you start doing vascular, you cannot escape from embolization. If you do, for example, MSK only or this type of thing, I mean, vertebroplasty or, or this type of thing that you don't necessarily do need to do endovascular. But if you are doing vascular intervention, then embolization will be part of your practice, a growing part. Yeah. I mean, anybody who's taking calls is going to have to do a GI bleed. Exactly. For, and no matter what size community hospital. <laughs> exactly. If they have coils on the shelf, for me, I've always known it to be in New York City. But it sounds like early in the early days, because I know you guys were in Tokyo at one point. Like you bounce, you, did you bounce around till you settled on New York City? Tell us about that. So at first, we did the first two meeting in Europe, two first years, two thousand seven and eight in Barcelona, and then we uh, decided that we we need to go to the U.S. So I think the first guest in the U.S. was in two thousand ten. And then uh, we discussed that the optimal setup at this point would be to do it one year in Europe and one year in the U.S. So bouncing from Paris and we, tr we, we did San Francisco, we did, uh, we did Miami, we did New York. And in, in, in Europe, we did Prague, we did Paris, we did Florence. And during these days, we were partnering with Circe, which was the initial partnership that we uh, decided to split uh, three years ago. And then along the time, we figured out that it was very, very important that actually it was mandatory to be every year in the U.S. So at this time, we decided to stick to New York. 
because of the beauty of the city and uh, everything that you know about New York's a very attractive city. And that's where we are. We stay every year in New York for the main meeting. And now we are deciding to do, I mean, smaller focused meeting in other places, including Europe. Reason why we do MSK first time in January 20 and 21st in Paris next year, 2023. Yeah, and, and um, I hope you keep it in Paris because, you know, that, that's the thing about New York City is you can get to New York City from anywhere in the world, right? And, and New York City in May, it's a great time of year. It's beautiful. It's, you know, finally kind of warming up. And so I, I, that sounds like it was probably a smart move in terms of getting people to one central location. It's a good location. It's someplace where everybody can get to um, because they're like there's cities that are great for conferences, like, for for example, New Orleans but they're not that easy to get to. Yes. Even, I mean, you know, even San Francisco for, I mean, for people in Europe or people Eastern Europe or Africa, I mean, it's really hard to get over there. So I like the fact that it's in New York City every year. And I like the fact that the MSK one is gonna be in Paris. Let's talk a little bit about what to expect at this new conference. And it's, am I saying it correctly, guest MSK? Is that what, what it's called? Yeah, so so the exact title is Guest Hot Topic MSK. So why I'm stressing that is that because we have a plan to do other type of guest hot topic. So okay. we are thinking of doing a guest hot topic on ablation. We are thinking of doing a guest hot topic on a portal vein intervention. We are trying to design and to organize this in a in a prospective manner. And we hook this to the uh, guest uh, webinar that we are doing basically every uh, three or four weeks uh, where we cover a topic uh, during two hours, whether it's a technical or a clinical topic. And then the next step is doing an actual hot topic day uh, where people can actually be there uh, in person because since COVID, we know that virtual is a good thing, but it's also a big limitation of potential of networking and doing actual exchanges. So that's where we are with guest MSK. We decided to pick this topic because we did an MSK session, a focus session during guest last year in, in New York, and it was packed. The, the, the room was full, people was, were standing. And then at this point we said, okay, MSK is probably one of the most promising new field for IR. And I think uh, everybody now is very excited about doing these cases, about coming to this meeting to learn uh, and to better understand what is the interest of doing that. Yeah. So um, I, was I was looking over the program before we jumped on and it sounds like there's some, yeah, some pretty neat, innovative stuff. Like, uh, you know, we, we, a lot of us have heard about, a lot of the audience have even heard on our podcast about knee and, and shoulder. But uh, some of the, the stuff that stuck out to me were like the sports injuries, like tennis elbow, jumper's knee, Achilles tendinopathy. I'm really excited to hear about that kind of stuff. Uh, and 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 who's who all's uh, coming? I, it sounds like there's probably people from around the world coming to speak, right? Right. So we we were uh, at guest. We always bring the best speakers we can find, the one that are doing the science, which are doing the clinical development. So we have obviously the father of all this, which is. Uh, Yuji Okuno from Tokyo. So he will be there the whole meeting. He's even coming one day before in Paris to visit my lab. And he was already there five years ago 
to do one or two cases with me uh, in Paris. So we have Mark Little, who has published also, as you know, on this topic and is running uh, a trial now. We have uh, Sid Padia from LA, who is also an expert on the field, who's working a lot on knee away, but also on tennis elbow. And we have Anna Fernandez-Martinez from Madrid, who has done a very nice uh, thesis, actually, on a frozen shoulder and a paper uh, that she published recently on this uh, disease and how to manage with embolization with very, very promising results. And we have a local organizing committee with two uh, very, uh, I would say, innovative and uh, very exciting people, uh, Julien Gelfi and Julien Frondon from Nîmes and from Grenoble. And this also to show that we, uh, we have created a research group in France, uh, which is working on that. So we will have a pretty good faculty. And on the top of that, we bring uh, rheumatologists and orthopedic surgeons and uh, people who are specialized to teach to the audience. It looks like a star-studded cast and, and excited to, to attend myself. And, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of also discussion around like the future and, and, you know, what we need sham trials for. Do we need it for every indication? You know, how long, how long follow-up do we need for, for these, these new procedures to kind of, um, you know, to add to the data. So I'm excited to, to hear from these people, which I've, I've actually never heard many of them speak and, and to actually meet them. To, to see him in person, because I imagine it's going to be a, a smaller, more intimate setting, right? It, and we'll probably have lots of room for questions and discussion at the conference. Yeah. So at guest, we always want to do a lot of interaction and it's a, it will be a relatively small place with uh, not so many people, probably around 200 or a little more people. We don't know exactly what we will get, but uh, we will have time to discuss. We will have time to network. So this is a, the way we think uh, education should go. And uh, usually this is quite successful as uh, we do at Guest in New York. So we'll have a full-time uh, opportunity to discuss and to interact. And you can show meet all these guys and uh, interview them as well. Yeah, I'm hoping to get, I'll bring my uh, couple of micro friends for sure. Well, and to add to the, uh, the FOMO, the fear of missing out, what should people see uh, it, for those who are on the fence? It's Paris, so you can't go wrong. I mean, you know, come over here for a long weekend, uh, bring your spouse, bring your kids. But what what do you think people should see while they're here for those who haven't been to Paris before? Uh, you mean outside from the meeting? Yeah, outside of the meeting, yeah. <laughs> I was... In the evening. <laughs> so uh, as you may guess, we have a, a bunch of uh, nice uh, place to have a nice dinner. Uh, there are lots of museums here in Paris. We have really an outstanding offer in terms of uh, exhibitions. Uh, yesterday, I was with my kids at the uh, uh, Musée du Quai Branly, which is a museum dedicated to, you know, ethnology. Uh, yeah. So you have everything about the uh, civilization in Africa, in Oceania, and uh, uh, that, that's an outstanding place. We have a good temporary exhibition on Oscar Kokoschka in Museum of, of Modern Art. This uh, famous uh, Viennese, uh, Viennese, I would say, painter from the uh, last century. To be honest with you, I didn't check if the uh, it would be still going on when you will be there around in January. But we have a lot more to do. Yeah, yeah. The small there's small museums everywhere, like like you were mentioning, and, and those are those are the spots that hit up. But the, the Louvre is great and everything, but it's so crowded and you can't get it all done in like you know it takes a, a day. So. It takes more than a day, actually. 
so yeah i, I recommend uh, like you do like just the, the small little museums that are there pretty much everywhere and then last weekend just i thought it was really neat because i'd never seen anything like this in the united states i went to the uh, i'm gonna butcher the the name of it the the cemetery du père Lachaise. yes Yes. Yeah. And uh, for, for the Americans out there, that's where Jim Morrison from the Doors uh, is buried. But I just, it, it was just beautiful grounds. It's a huge cemetery, beautiful, you know, beautiful grounds to walk around. And it's it's basically like a park. And, and that part of town, it's, it's a pretty neat part of town to be in as well. And the, uh, the Hyatt Hotel is very well uh, located. So you can get from there everywhere by the metro. It's very easy. Uh, yeah. So where you stay at the Hyatt, you can, you can basically go everywhere. Uh, within uh, fifteen or twenty minutes. Yeah, the the metro is is very easy to use, and um, and there's also there's also Ubers if people need to. But uh, yeah, the metro is very easy to use. Well, Mark, that about does it. I hope we created enough FOMO for everybody for, to get some more people registered. Um, again, I'm looking forward to seeing people. I'll, I'll be here. Uh, I'll be at the conference. And uh, anything else that we're leaving behind before we see people at the conference. Well, I am so excited by the conference that I cannot uh, stop talking about that because I think, you know, <laughs> it's not it's not always that you have this uh, opportunity to be part of a new field at its beginning. If you think to the older guys, which were the first doing, I don't know, iliac angioplasty or iliac stenting, right. this was so exciting. But here, I think the figures and the numbers are so big that it can really change the figure the picture of what we will be doing as IRs, but also I was discussing with my friends rheumatologist from uh, two other hospitals around around my hospital, where uh, we could come with a game changer for NEOA, for example. For them, right. these patients are a nightmare because they basically cannot do a lot to them. I mean, they, you know, as you know, they do intraarticular injection of this or that. It doesn't really work. And then the next step is surgery. So, you know, in France, there are 10 million people suffering from NEOA. And I don't wow. want to imagine the numbers in the US uh, that you have probably 10 times more, even more considering the uh, overweight uh, of the population overall. So I think it's, it's really a very extraordinary opportunity to be at this moment in the history of IR. And I really want to share this with you guys. Yeah, and just real quick on that, are you guys seeing good collaboration with the orthopedic guys here in, in France on, on the genicular artery embolization? Uh, I think we do. I think we, I don't expect so many tough battles with uh, surgeons because I mean, we will not replace surgery. I mean, for example, for prostate, sometime we replace prostate surgery or we postpone it. But I think for NEOA, I mean, the, uh, the, the articulation is already destroyed in a way or another, and you will not, you will not reconstruct anything. You are just trying to overcome pain and malfunction for a few months or years, but surgery will come ultimately maybe five years later or something like that. So I think the collaboration here is a, is a must, and I think it's not a big uh, uh, limitation here. Yeah. Well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And again, I uh, hope it's it's the first of many. And like I said, I'll be, I'll be at the conference with some microphones and sitting down with some of these great speakers that you guys have collected. To the audience, if you are interested in registering, where's a good place for them to go, Mark? Uh, on the uh, guestweb.org website, you have everything. Uh, you have uh, the uh, program, you have the registration, and uh, uh, everything you need. Okay, sounds great. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you on the next one. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Don, Michael Barraza, and Ali Behetti. Our audio team lead is Kieran Gannon with support from Caleb Hodson, Josh McWhorter, and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz. Article and transcript support by Taylor Robinson. And Delaney Aguilar. Social media and PR by Ann Dang. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.